Hello everyone, this is China Paradigm, where we, Dashi Consulting, interview seasoned entrepreneurs in China. Hello everyone, I'm Matthew David, the founder of Dashi Consulting and its podcast, China Paradigm. And today I am with Mike Hoffman. You are the managing director of uh, Melchers, which has been in China for 150 years. I, I, there is one thing for sure is that now I'm interviewing the oldest company I've ever interviewed in the podcast, maybe the oldest company I will have interviewed in my life in the podcast. Um, Melchers entered like in uh, 1860-something, I read in your presentation. And um, that's something actually um, for curiosity could be interesting to know how you survive all this history uh, in China and where, maybe more Hong Kong at some point than, than mainland China. But that's something we, we will go back. So Melchers, what do you do? You're supporting the export and operations of companies and with a strong focus on Asia and specifically in China, as far as I understand. And what gives me this, this, this feeling is that the name of Melchers has three characters next to it, which are Chinese characters. So it seems that China is very, very important for the company. You are um, um, doing, uh, making 600 million net. Um, that's something maybe uh, would be interesting to understand what means net, 600 million euros net of revenues. Um, you are hiring 1,700 people worldwide, uh, if my numbers are correct and updated. Um, and uh, now um, you are also, you are, you, are, you are doing manufacturing, you're helping to manufacture, but also to implement brands uh, overseas, especially uh, some premium brands, luxury brands, luxury goods, that we are going to talk more in details. Thanks very much for being with us. Anything you'd like to add in the presentation? No, it's very... Uh, very comprehensive. So yeah, the company is in China long, long time history. Obviously, my, myself, I'm not as old. <laughs> um, the company always is over 200 years old. German company and entered China 150 years ago, and in, via Hong Kong at that time, and then uh, came to the mainland China. And basically, with some interruptions during the and after the war times, basically since 150 years, always coming back to China, always building up again and always constantly doing business here with own offices on running on the ground. And uh, like, like you said, it's very comprehensive. It's still family business, which is uh, ownership, uh, propriety partnership. Um, so it's not driven by stock market, which means a lot. We have very long-term view, which allows us to stay in businesses um, which are may not as good in the three, two years, but look more on the long run. It's a long for partnerships and this also has helped us over the year to adjust our portfolio and nowadays it's very entrepreneurial the company still is going on always after where we can offer value services we don't see us too much we used to be a trading company with trading routes we used to be trading good between both countries but nowadays it's more going towards a service provider and a value added service provider and we can use our competencies in different fields to help brands to succeed in China. So you, we mentioned before, uh, the group net sales is 600 million euros. Would you like to explain what you, you talk about when you talk about net sales? Yeah, it's official group number globally. China is the biggest market, but the group is not having numbers by, uh, by each market. Um, it's basically the revenue, different word for them. Okay. I, my understanding net sales was because you may have actually uh, marketing expenses for your, for your clients or advertisement budget or, um, or maybe um, com, com, uh, you, you take into account only the commission part or the part which is going to you. Is it, what, is it a good understanding when we, when we talk about net? Uh, no, nah, it's mainly after after tax, you would say. So it's not income. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, sorry to be too de so detailed, but I, I, I like yeah, to yeah, yeah. Sure. listen to us to have a good understanding of what you do. And I think those details help us to understand also what you yeah. do. 
when you talk to an advertising agency, very often they say your revenues uh, with marketing budget, with ad uh, spending, and without ad spending, because ad spending is taking the money of the client to actually spend it uh, on, on ads. So they, they yeah. usually distinguish. So I understand. It's not that. It's more uh, uh, after tax. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so would you, would you like to help us to understand better what you, you do in details uh, with maybe one or two case studies you feel more, most illustrative for China. And more specifically in the retail and uh, premium industry, uh, as we mentioned earlier, as, as a main topic for today. Yeah, so like, like I mentioned, the group is business-wise very <clears throat> diverse. There's one strong pillar is um, retail business here in China. Um, and another one is uh, sales of commissioning of machinery business. So but today we're focusing about our retail businesses there. Um, Meltras is in the sector in China, um, actually in Asia, many countries, but we're now talking about China. In China, I would say it's over 15, 20 years experience in this industry. And we started it with being the partner for Swiss luxury watch brands. And what we did is that we were running the entire retail operation in China. So when I say running, it is we used to buy the products, we opened the stores, we managed the stores always in close cooperation because the stores obviously have to be the same corporate identity as the Swiss watch manufacturer wants to have it and if it's global branding. For marketing, you're often also talking with, with Switzerland in these terms how to position your brand, how you do it. So we did the local entire market, entire marketing, distribution, importing warehouse and so on, but always in close cooperation. This is always the company's always doing, always with the brand partner, we work very closely because we want to ensure that we are not um, a trading house who buys a product and sells it, but rather to offer our advice, our marketing mm. image, and also ensure that the whole brand image is secured in China. And especially as today, as you know, a lot of, especially in the premium segment, a lot of Chinese consumers buy actually their watches, for instance, overseas because often for tax reasons are cheaper. So it most comes at seeing China holistic as a, as a Chinese consumer. Everybody said China as a, as a consumer is my biggest customer. But at the end, how much they really sell in the country and how much they sell otherwise. So that's often two different stories. So that's why you have to be very specific how you're marketing in China also because they may buy also overseas so you have to be very careful for it interesting yeah i didn't think about uh, when preparing the interviews that the uh, the split between overseas sales by chinese chinese travelers basically and yeah. um, um the, the sales you generate in china could be actually a topic for you uh, because you may drive traffic to them overseas and may not be rewarded for it actually also that could be that could be a topic um could you, uh, would, is it fair to say that you compete with Lianfeng and the company like uh, Bluebell? Is it the same kind of business? It's a, it's a little bit, yeah. But what is one difference? Of we do not have um, out of the shelf uh, products, so we are not uh, saying this is our service. We always try to be as individualistic and customized as possible. This, I would say, is one secret why the company has been around so long because we're constantly able to adjust our business. Overall, we're working in China in all of our businesses with more than 80, 80 companies in different segments. Wow. And this is sometimes because sometimes what we see right nowadays, we still get a lot of contacts or contact from companies in retail. Uh, is fashion, handbags, and other industries, which saying, okay, I want to do my retail business in China. I maybe have already one or two stores or I have already a distribution partner, but I need somebody who helps me maybe only with um, negotiation with the vendor. I need somebody who's only doing the accounting, do my back office function, for mm. instance. Because they're saying, okay, they can sell, but I still need to see more a little bit on the corporate function support. I need somebody who helps me with the marketing, yeah, in China, it's my brand image. So sometimes we see that's going direction more and more that retail brands looking for partner in different diverse fields. So we are also developing there. But of course, where we come from, we, this is maybe our strength in that area, that we're coming from the whole area where we did the entire business, entire retail operation, so we can use actually these competences um, to help these, help these brands. I see. Um, 
do, why do you feel um, uh, companies would uh, go through um, a service provider like yours mm -hmm. uh, instead of going directly and setting up a company directly? What would be the key elements which would make them choose to go through your services or what you think, uh, in what circumstances they should better go through your services? So what, what we see is always um, about risk and investment to make a decision. If you invest in China, uh, how do you set up your different licensing, franchising on company and, and, and so on. And not every company or who is a global company, especially smaller companies who might not have the budget to do it themselves. Or everyone. And China is still a very complicated market. I mean, now you get a lot of more market information and so on, but it starts to maintain the relationship, for instance, to when I found the right locations, negotiate, which is the right locations. You don't know if you're not here active. Um, you have to negotiate with the different, different vendors for retail, um, landlords, for instance, which is not always as easy. Um, so it's a lot of a hassle, a lot of local knowledge needed. Um, so it's very demanding market, demands very resources a lot. So not every company is either willing or capable to do that. And that's why they also benefit sometimes from the partner. So I would say smaller the company is, yes, the, the more they are in the need, but even big companies often work as part in certain areas. For instance, China is a huge country, maybe in the big cities, Beijing, Shanghai, uh, you still can handle, but then you want to open in Chongqing and it's totally like a different country, a different province in China. So sometimes it's really some companies back in Europe, they underestimate it or they have no capability to handle China as a whole. And that's why they're often looking for, looking for partners. Yeah, I was checking the, the, the references you put in your presentation and uh, some of them are pretty big companies indeed and they're well known like Nexons, I mean, it's a French company, so I know it. But also, uh, as we talked uh, uh, today would be the main topic about uh, mm -hmm. retail brands, Breitling, which is, uh, Mm. Uh, which is, um, I, I, I know it actually. I don't know if it's that famous, but actually I, I know it. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, indeed. It's interesting to see that some uh, companies which are actually already well-known, well-established worldwide would go through some service provider. My feeling is that there is a cost of management, which is actually pretty high to internalize China. And there is a, a risk of uh, seeing your general manager leaving suddenly. There is a risk of uh, suddenly not having a person would understand the contracts inside and doesn't know how to manage lawyer, but mm. you are able to offer a continuity. Uh, I believe that that's something I, I think it's, um, it, it brings a lot of value as well. Yeah, and we also evolve in terms of mark maturity. I mean, in, if you're looking back in, in our terms, it's in mark beginning often was when China was after joining the WTO, after China opening up policy, everybody's got a little bit interested, but it was a little bit complex. So they rather worked with a partner and they give you the whole, whole market. But nowadays, everybody said China is so important. I want to be there myself. I want to be have a footprint there. Um, so I have to be engaged. Um, so what we have seen for what that means for us is our business model has also changed. In the past, we were exclusive agent for China, we did everything. Nowadays, it's becoming to different areas, more specialized. Mm. We can add re real value working with the partner. And the nice thing is we were still working with companies. We worked 20, 30 years ago, but just in a different capacity, not exclusive anymore, but maybe only doing the after sales in the technical. So for the watch industry, for instance, we're having those in Beijing, Shanghai to watch service repair centers, where we also do vocation training for our own watchmakers, where we repair because the watch needs to prepare once they're, once they're bought. So it's always changing. You always have other areas and also company you need to develop and stay, stay relevant in the market. And um, through this evolution, also our business model has, has also changed. I see. I see more segmented and actually um, companies could, could, could buy one piece or another and not, and not the full, full package. What, what, how do you price your services? Is it on day-man unit as we do at Dasha Consulting, for instance, would be day-man unit? Uh, is it a total budget for one year and you, you commit on some goals? Is it depending on the volume of sales they have? Is it commission-based? What are the main models you're using? So we're using different models. Um, we have, like I said, we try to be as much in the listing customized as possible to be attractive, but this is of course on the downside and the trade-off you have. 
don't have fixed <laughs> fixed prices in terms of this model cost is so much because but what we do we work uh, in terms for the accounting if you would do the back office service then yes then work with some um, depending on on the workload mm -hmm. um, having some fixed fees sometimes it's depending on the revenues they're saying two percent revenue or higher on the fixed fee whichever is whichever fee, fee is higher and um, it also depends because sometimes company also have asked us to be involved in terms of let's make a joint venture let's take some share please get some skin in the game they, they call it but then you have a different kind of negotiation and only being a service provider because then you have all the more business interests. So us as a company, we are always open to these different models. We don't say no to a, a capital investment. Um, and that's why we always there negotiate. But basically it's either revenue based or it's a fixed fee. That's most, I would say is the most common, most common scene. I see, I see. Um, let's talk about uh, more specifically in terms of operation, how to introduce a premium retail brand in China. Um, the first question I, 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 I would have is about building the team uh, to, to actually manage this, this, uh, uh, this introduction. We know that a lot of, of information, a lot of culture can be lost when you build a new team in a new country. Um, what are the challenges you have, you have seen and how you have, you have tackled them uh, for introducing a premium uh, brand? Where actually the brand image, the culture is so important. Yeah, I think a HR topic in, in China is everywhere, no matter if it's premium and other company, it's always, you heard a lot of changing, very demanding, you have high salary increases, high turnovers in general speaking. Um, we have been quite success and keep the retention rate quite, quite low, I have to say. So um, it's very comes down when you do the recruitment in the selection of what kind of you like to have. Um, and there you have to look a little bit what the brand represents and how so for instance, um, what you often see, what we don't sometimes from the watch industry for a lecture, we don't hire people from other watch companies. Okay. We don't do that because often they are um, already like kind of and how do we say not, not toxic is the wrong word, but they are already in the other way of the other brand. And then they may be bring that to your brand and you, but your brand is different position. So we instantly looking for us, for the salespeople, they have to be very customer oriented, very sales oriented, very customer mind. So we rather looking for new, if you look for salespeople from hospitality industry, for instance, I see. or for some airline industry or something like that. So where a customer service is very important. Um, this is in the, especially in the premium segment, it is more easier than if you have, of course, a consumer goods business. But this, this help doesn't then require the same quite success strategy we're doing for here. We are very hesitant to hire people like from other watches, definitely not. From other premium trends, yes, we, we do, but we from, from, like I said, from watches, not so much. Um, in the end, and once you have them on board, of course, you need to keep them in right training, you need to keep them motivated, you need to keep them up to date, um, things I would say. And we don't try for the sales commission, push them too much in terms what you often see in the market, that the base setter is very low and they're willing to live from commission, which is standard for the sales. But if you make it too, especially in China, with the high living cost, if you make the base setter with too low, that's which very easy. Um, they're too aggressive salespeople, and then especially in the, it can be off-putting in the industry where we are in for the premium luxury because your customers are also premium. They don't want to be, they want to be good service. They don't want to be too much pushed into the sales. And now we have too much sales-driven people sometimes. It didn't work out. So we go rather for people more on the customer service area, which people do, and pay maybe a little bit more base salary um, to order to facilitate them. Let's say consult and make some experience in the, in, the, uh, in the center of the sales. How, how do you train and how, how much time do you think uh, you need um, you need to make a salespeople good enough, salesperson good enough to sell a luxury product? I'm telling you, I'm asking you this question because my first business in China uh, was actually in Beijing. Uh, you are based in Beijing, right? 
Beijing, yes. Yeah. It was in Beijing, and I was selling um, gift boxes of experience. In German, it's called Erlebnisgeschenk, right? That's <laughs> Erlebnis and uh, that's Geschenk. And uh, so you have this gift uh, where uh, you have coupons inside, and I mean, you have a leaflet, and you can check, you can use one one activity inside when you receive it. Mm -hmm. We were distributing, we were selling in 20 point of sales, and we had our own people selling. But I realized, the salesperson had never been to, let's say, a French restaurant or German restaurant. So when in the leaflet, she had to talk about the French restaurant, mm -hmm. the only comment she would have is, is say, oh, it's nice. It's French. That's it. No more. So if it was to sell about um, an activity like uh, we had this kind of thing, driving a Ferrari for 10 minutes, it's kind of things. She could emphasize a brand, but not much more. Even the brand, she was not very familiar with it. So how do you create this culture, this knowledge, and this training to ramp up quickly? And how much time do you think it's needed? Uh, it's a good, good question. How much time is it needed? Um, every person, I, I would say, that's it's a little different. What we do is that we making tests regularly with, with the people in terms in terms of the knowledge of the product, for instance, for, for watches, it's a very technical product, um, even doesn't seem so. So this you can make very nice tests every three, six months, for instance, to see at least on that level, to see if the people is really progressing and make it then at the end of a vision period, you see if the people have at least the basic knowledge to sell the customer asking any technical specialty. And they do, and especially in the, in the luxury segment, they're very detailed sometimes. They have to even thinking, wow, what a question I never would have sort of the Chinese customers are very interested in very small, small, small details. Um, so how much we, we train them? The other thing you have to oversee from experienced people, um, how they're doing, behave towards the customer, how they're training. Um, I wouldn't say we don't have a, except for the technical, technical parts, for the real to get the feeling, um, don't have saying you have so many hours training because it's constant, constant training and even single lifelong learning and we are believing and I would say that. So yeah, we have in regular, we have trainings in regular every couple of months and things like that, um, but it's mandatory for the, for the people. Does it mean that actually uh, introducing a brand for, for in your company with you is going to rely maybe on one person who is going to be the main product manager and then who is going to actually uh, make sure that the training is good, make sure that uh, uh, the locations are good? How, how do you organize an introduction? Is it one person who has the, the role of general manager? Or is it a split, uh, like one person is in charge of sales, uh, recruiting people and uh, training them, but for different companies, different brands? Uh, or is it one main person, kind of general manager? Yeah, so we have, um, it depends on how big the company is. Mm. So at the beginning, I would say it's more like an incubator. We always try to share services or for the back office. Function. So we have to have a recruitment person who is always the recruitment for luxury for retail business. So there is a knowledge that we use this. Um, and at the beginning, when we set up and maybe showing together with the brand owner, we, we hire some people who will be, yes, you can call it as a general manager, sometimes director. Mm -hmm. It's irrelevant, basically one, one person you, you entrust the most to slowly build it up together. And often the brand owner is also getting strongly involved. Um, as more as it grows bigger and some companies want it right from the beginning, then either they set up their own legal entity managed by us, or like, like I said before, they asked us to, to invest some capital. But then it's real own company set up, but they used the shared services back off. They used the financial accounting, they used the HR service, for instance, from you know, on the group level. Um, and they focusing then on sales. And then depending how much a company wants to be involved themselves, um, we also have that sometimes they send people over to China as an, as an expatriate. This sometimes happen, especially at the beginning, um, if they want to have a more firmer control of the, of, of the operation. Um, in other instances, it works, the person goes over to Europe to be trained uh, for, some, for some certain amount of time. Um, so it's, it really depends on the brand, but it's both ways. Sometimes sent over, sometimes going there. And at the beginning, I was saying it's starting, yes, then it's one or two people, but it grows the bigger the operation and it becomes also more 
more shoulders. But it's also our role to ensure that once a person might would leave, it doesn't stumble across. So it's very uh, our, our service to install processes, to make sure there's a possible successor in place as uh, the, the business matures uh, and not that somebody, yeah, then the whole <laughs> business crumbles. That would be a nightmare. Yeah. So we talked about the salespeople, um, but we haven't talked about the locations. Where they work, uh, which shops, uh, how do you negotiate the locations? I feel finding good locations in China uh, has been more and more challenging because now it's costly. Ten years ago when I arrived in China, I remember a brand called 68. Uh, it was underwear brand um, and they were from uh, actually China, but they had, uh, from Hong Kong more specifically, but they had um, a, a brand identity which is Western. And they were in all the good malls, and that's how they got famous. And now it's much more difficult for them to be in the good mall because it's much more expensive. But 10 years ago, they could try to go to a mall, fail, and go somewhere else. It was not that expensive. So how do you, ask, how do you identify the right locations, and how do you negotiate a good deal with this location? What, and, and finally, what kind of deal are negotiable? Uh, fixed plus commissions, purely commissions, uh, fixed plus commissions, but a minimum of sales to reach out, otherwise you are kicked out. What, what kind of uh, parameters? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. As you just said, the rents in China are getting very expensive. There's some rents coming from the West first time, and then they visit and First time see the figures with kind of square me there or whatever, and they get shocked saying, Wow, that's more expensive than, than New York Fifth Avenue in Beijing. <laughs> Sometimes saying, Yeah, but this is unfortunate. If you want a premium luxury shopping mall for your luxury product, it's the price you have to be on the market. And this is very, very, very expensive. Um, so, and that's also the locations, they are crowded, they are sought after. Everybody wants to be in China. That's that, that's a point. So you have a lot of competitors. So, and but on the other hand, a lot of shopping mall opens at all the time in China. So which one is the right one? That's indeed a very um, question every brand struggle with, and sometimes the wrong locations get, get chosen absolutely. So depending on the reputation of the of the um, shopping mall, for instance, where normally your point of sales is in China. Um, Sometimes you're not able to negotiate at all with, with the vendors that they tell you because they have so many on their, mm-hmm. on, on their list. Sometimes they approach you because they open a new shop. So they want you as a brand if you have I some pulling people from the street. So they give you, I mean, the most sought after space is the ground floor, ground floor level, which is the highest, highest one. Um, so if they sought you, they want you as a brand represent once they open a new shopping mall, then you have a little bit more leverage now negotiate and each shopping mall also have a little bit different business model mm-hmm. but sometimes you have like fixed fee or revenue whichever is higher yeah, this is very common so and that you're having I don't know, that Beijing as SKP is one of the most expensive in Beijing and then I have like for different categories for fashion it's different than watches and so on and they ask you sometimes in some categories 24% of, of your sales, yeah, or- 20, how much, 25? 20. 20%, wow. Depending on the categories, it's different for, for, for underwear than luxury, and the more expensive is, the more they want to have. So basically then at the end, you see they, they get a, a margin of a dealer. If you would work with a distributor who wants us 20 to 30%, the same one you pay to a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're saying, and they want to have whatever's higher, and they want to have a fixed fee of 100, 200,000 RMB sometimes. So it's really, you have really expensive. So that's why I have to be careful with selecting how many <laughs> you want to select. And then some brands saying, okay, if China is so expensive, I might be make only, I know to attract four, five, six point of sales and more focus on the online sale to make it more, um, to work online, offline together. Um, and if you negotiate with the vendors, like, like you mentioned, it really depends. Some are very, like I said, welcoming and they want your brand and you can negotiate and others are a little bit downwards looking at you and saying, ah, we have all the brands here, all your competitors. If you want here, that's the cost and, and, and go out. And then the, and at the end, you have to check the legal, the contracts. Um, the devil is in the detail. I would have sometimes in there, there's a surcharge on this, there's a surcharge on that. Um, this you can sometimes negotiate, um, but you have to be very careful to look, to look at that. And then you need a good law firm or a good 
legal law firm here in China who knows that um, to avoid you from getting getting paying that too much. You just mentioned SK, SK Sinkong Place. This is the most luxury uh, mall um, or department store, I don't know actually, in, in Beijing and in China maybe, um, in, uh, in Dawanlu. And uh, indeed, uh, they, they basically, they, I don't think you negotiate with them. Uh, you try to wait actually, and you, you, you beg them to, to, to enter. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what I heard as well is that uh, in it's pretty common that you have a fixed amount. So the standard, the standard agreement, as, as far as I understood, is fixed amount, commission, but if you don't reach a certain level of commissions, you will have to pay actually an extra fixed amount or to be kicked out after some time. So even some people, I remember in Sinkong like six years ago, they were doing fake FAPIO, actually fake sales in order to stay in business in the mall because they didn't want to lose this location, which was a good location to pretend they were doing as much uh, to, to show that people actually it was an attractive brand. Is it, is it a standard, standard way of working? Well, I would say yes, in terms of like, like you said, that is a fixed fee and revenue base. So sometimes it's also mixed. You have the, the fixed fee plus the revenue. And as a terms, uh, like I said, you have a minimum or percentage of revenue, whichever is higher. So in the months. And of course, they're looking for a period of terms. You have to bring in so much revenue. Because the business, especially if it's a, a shopping mall, which has a long waiting list of other brands want to enter, there can be then more ending the, the partnership after a certain amount of time. And yeah, with the fake Fabiao, luckily we didn't have to do that. But yeah, that is possible something in China. You'll not be surprised that some brands go there if they really want the location. But then if they make their calculation, it really works for them. But it's it's really like, like you said. So it's and that's why it's getting very expensive also in China. Hmm. Which format do you, do you think, uh, have you seen uh, most successful? Is it more um, a 10 square meters, a booth? Is it more to have a shop by yourself? Is it more to have a corner? What, what would you suggest for a market entry in terms of format uh, to, to have your own actually uh, space or to, to, to work with a, a wool seller to be among uh, different brands? What, what format would you suggest? Well, I mean, there's also a third way. I mean, the one is your own point of sales. You fully run it yourself. Another point, sometimes companies do. They work with um, retail companies' partners. Um, it's because China is so big, you barely can cover the whole country. So in some countries, they were, uh, in some cities, they work like a partner for Beijing who does their businesses there, who has sometimes own point of sales, um, and then he wants to have your product. Or sometimes, like you just said, with the department kind of shop and shop system. Um, mm. What we've seen is that brands, also similar things, also in the West, similar brands want to be having their own stores. Either with a partner or them, they don't like to be together with other brands too much. Um, this is also what we're seeing in China. They want to be standing out, standing out of the crowd. Um, this we also recommend on normal. If it's an own store um, with a partner or if you make a small one and then more doing online, this really depends on the category of the business and also how the brand is willing to invest in China, how they want to do this. You would then try to talk with them about how to China. China. Yeah. And for some, some brands, I mean, the, the more luxury it is, the better and more luxury scarcity you can have to have less stores. And especially think about more the Chinese often buy it overseas. You're more like a flagship store where they invest more money in China, but they buy it also sometimes overseas. So you have to see it more on a business bigger scale model. Uh, while in other instances saying, no, that doesn't make sense for our model. We really need to buy, sell in China for China. And then you maybe go for also maybe not for a shopping mall, but maybe for, for, for lower category and, and make an old store things. In Shanghai, in Sintiandi, um, I got the number that Starbucks uh, was paying uh, 35 or 40 GMB per day per square meters. Um, what are we talking about in, in Beijing, in a premium place for a premium brand, uh, if it wants to have its own shop? Are we talking more about 15, 20, 30 uh, GMB per square meter per day. And that's the way we work in China. In China, we work per, per, per day, per square meter. Yeah. Um, it's a huge scope how mm. 
depends which shopping mall location um, and how in which business district the brands can easily go up about 50 60 70 RMB per day wow. um, so I would say Beijing Shanghai there is no really big difference um, average would say you should calculate when you enter market entry and you're more between the second and 50 to 60 you should should calculate put in the real Okay, so 50 to 60. Negotiating that when you make your business case. I see. Yeah. And when you negotiate a space, uh, how much deposit do you have to, to put? And usually how much do you have to expect to renovate, let's say a, a, a 50 square meter or a 100 square meter? How, how much budget do you need to allocate to open the first shop, basically? Yeah, um, you should between around about three months rent, we recommend. Okay. Always sometimes you can negotiate a little bit, but three months rent maybe um and when you said for the renovation and there's also difference that's mm. for the shopping mall it's also not unique has a problem i say that often now in this talk because you see china city every every vendor here, here is a little bit different but that makes it also so complicated by the companies once they're here then, then they talk with them that they, they really understand that sometimes we cannot give a clear, a clear answer on that um so it's also how much retail technology you want to go in think about new retail and so on. So some companies go uh, go there to bring smart mirrors in or other things or connecting somehow with their with this POS system and with, with their online stores, for instance. Um, you easily should calculate around about yeah, we would say for a hundred square meter, okay, for our fifties and a half, around about hundred fifty thousand euros, so around about hundred thousand maybe. Euro, so 800,000 RMB, you might should. Okay, for the renovation, for the, the interior design. Yes, yes. I see. Um, and sometimes they, it's mostly, however, uh, you should that for the point of sale system, you have to make in the link to the shopping mall because that's, that's how they want to track the sales, but you don't. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a part which is actually maybe uh, cheaper in China than in the West to renovate and to, to reorganize a shop. Um, I would say similar. Similar? Okay. Okay. So we talked about the salespeople. We talked about the locations where they are. And there's one piece you mentioned, which is big in China, bigger in China than everywhere else, is online marketing, mm. online sales. Um, uh, is it something you also uh, manage uh, the online presence? And what, what's your experience of managing the online presence for premium brands? Uh, we know that China has been built on marketplaces, Timo. Mm -hmm. And nobody would imagine to luxury brand to be on Amazon in Germany or in, or in France or in Europe, wherever. So how do you manage the online presence of, of luxury brands and what, what to be careful of? Yeah. So, yeah, so like you said, it's not uncommon to have presences on the marketplaces. And there's always also here different options. You can opt to make your own flagship store on Tmall, for instance, or sometimes there are so-called TP partners or Tmall partners, which, which then offers it, which means it's a company who specialized in that segment or different than does everything for you, warehousing, order fulfillment, customer returns, payments, so then you just deliver them the goods and they do it for you. Um, and they charge you also monthly fee and a revenue fee. So basically it's like a normal distributor. Um, you can do the whole operation yourself, like, like I said, and sometimes they're multi-brand brand store. So there's a big big variety. And then sometimes which marketplace you go, right? For the T-Mall, okay, we call the JD. They, don't like each other and make it hard for you when they have discounts event on, on each other. So it's time to spend on um, basically also here how much you want to get involved. Do you want to give it out of hand or you have want to have control? And this also steers you a little bit. Do I working with a partner? Do I build up my own infrastructure? Um, so this is also things you have to have to design on China strategy. Um, so coming back to the question, what do we do? Yes, we do working on the online marketplaces with our partners together. Um, either with Tmall Partner, for instance. Um, this is normally the way we do it because so far the partner is so complex. Uh, we, we normally agree, okay, we're focusing more on the offline 
cells and you do we work here with, with a partner which we control and which we steer and work with for instance and um yeah it's very common for luxury plants to have on the market present cell online in china so you would recommend to go with a tp uh Tabo partner a t sorry tmol partner uh to to in, in, to to work um to 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 go online in china and to be present on on uh, on marketplaces um i would recommend mostly it makes the most sense and i say mostly like say every company when you do the business case with china you have to see what is the alternative cost i do it myself um you have to build up infrastructure you have to deal with the customer returns you have to deal with the payment you have to meet the reimbursements um it's broken warranty cases and so on so if you invest enough and build up your own team of course you can do that um but for smaller brands normally they especially in the first steps that work with And about working with a TP, then what kind of contract do you have? Um, um, and let's have a, a bit of similar analysis then with retail. Uh, is it a deposit? Is it a deposit? Do you need to put a deposit? Uh, uh, is it based on fixed and commissions? What, does a what is a typical deal you can, you can get with them? Yeah, here the, also the partner has different model what service they provide. So what is normally common first you make a payment for the setup of the store, which is design, which is making payment pictures of the inventory, positioning, do it search engine optimized, things like that. So they pay normally a fixed sum, and this is also depending how many pictures you have, but you have easily from two to four or five hundred thousand RMB, you have to make that investment. And then um, for the being able Uh, it does. This is like order that fee, no? and then they won't have their sales commission, uh, like a normal offline offline partner. So they would take twenty percent, which is then depending uh, depending because then it's the team or partners business. So some want to have a higher commission and a less fixed monthly uh, annual fee, and some rather wants to have a higher annual fee and a less commission. But you can calculate that the commission is between 15 to 20-25%. I see, I see. So very similar actually with the, with, with the offline, they kind of copied the model. Exactly. Interesting. So cost side, online is not cheaper. Some people often think cheaper. It may be cheaper if you do it yourself, if I say the calculation. If you work with a partner, that is not really cheaper. It's a one, one distribution model. But in China, it's not necessarily cheaper. Because the fixed amount is supporting to actually pay, let's say, the, the people working on, on uh, at the TP, but it, it doesn't include maybe all the advertisement spend, uh, which would be more including the commission part. Uh, is it correct? Yes, um, and it's also you can talk with them about sometimes how much marketing you want to allocate because they can run it for you, the marketing. Yes. For double 11, for instance, or the other festivals on that shopping, you expect to get discounts and make, make some noise to get the people attract. And they can do that for you, yeah, but they want, of course, get a payment <laughs> for that. Um, this is something you normally talk with a partner about. How much can you want to allocate that? I, I believe a lot of premium brands would be um, skeptical or cautious to give their brand image to a Tmall partner because I believe for a shop they can go and see how the shop is but for online it can go everywhere if suddenly there is someone who is working on your brand writing a comment on on WeChat or opening a, a channel on Juhu and so on uh, is it is it a concern among clients you have is it a concern among among people around you that actually the Tmall partner may not totally understand the brand identity and may not be able to actually convey it online as well as the, the brand itself and then if that's the case how to manage it um, what we've seen is they are normally very experienced working with marketing and PR okay. around, around the globe. Um, so they have some experience in this. And what is always the key is that you work closely with this partner and don't give them too long, too long leash. And uh, you tell them clearly what the brand stands about. You need to control it. You can 
KPIs or see maybe you pull the plug. So it's, they are not very um, afraid of working with small company because they see it as just kind of as an agent you have to control and does not ruin your brand or something like that. Okay, okay. So it hasn't been a major issue. I, I, was, I was thinking it could have been. Um, we, it's already 45 minutes, so now we are moving to the last questions. Uh, the typical question we ask at the end uh, of the interview. And some of them are about books. And what books have inspired you most in your China journey? 12 years. <laughs> Good question. Um, I, I thought about, because I don't have a specific book on, on China. Um, well, what I would say what have inspired me for sure is um, from Anil Gupta, The Quest for Global Dominance. Uh, Anil Gupta used to be my professor in my MBA school, and, and I like the book, especially from his perspective, looking on how you play the global chess game. It's also emphasized on China and India, how you should make a global strategy, which is very important for, for brands and how, how you position that, that yourself. And I can mean take, take out quite a lot of it. Um, as I would say, me personally, also what I like, which is not to do anything with China, um, but I like to say is a total recall from Arnold Schwarzenegger, I like very much. Okay. Um, it really shows it's inspiring, very inspiring book, how different careers he had and the mindset to stay hungry, always push to grow yourself uh, in life and learning and always set high chiefs onto a goal and it's kind of very inspirational. Interesting. So, t talking about what you what you're reading uh, to stay up to date about China, do you have specific uh, newsletter or newspaper? Yeah, what I oft often read is that it's in German. The Chamber of Commerce has a good okay. uh, weekly summary with news, which means it's basically uh, from different newspapers together. So it helps a lot to gain the German media. Um, then I happen on from H HSBC Bank, they have a good China Weekly um, of a newsletter. Um, Wall Street Journal is always interested if it's China, China related, sometimes very good, good article they're having. And, uh, okay. Um, if, you had, um, if you had the extra time on working on on a new, something new, what would you do in China? <laughs> um, I think well, if I would have the time and new own business or something like that, I would probably think, look more into how, thinking we, we are we're working as a company as both retail business brands coming to China. But what we could maybe do as the future, or whatever, something which I would look at um, is something because Chinese outbound tourism is so mm -hmm. growing and so many going. Um, and we know they all shop overseas, but how you attract them better to come to your store. And I think there's still market opportunity in Europe for the retailers supporting how you attract them because it's when they are in Europe, it's already too late. You have to help them more here. So I would like how to have them better to position themselves. I see, very interesting. So actually, marketing or things like that. Yeah, actually, you, you, your, your focus is Chinese consumers wherever they are. If they go to yes. Germany, you can still handle them, and you, you need a specific, specific service for them because they use WeChat, they use Alipay, yeah. WeChat and so on. Interesting. Um, what unexpected success have you witnessed in China? When I'm using the word unexpected success, uh, we get this word from Peter Drucker. Uh, so the, the strategist, he, he, he said that innovation, in order to track innovation, it's very important to look at, I mean, it's a good way to look at innovation through unexpected success. Uh, so something you, have, you, sh you wouldn't have expected to be successful and which has been successful. <laughs> I think China is such, uh, it's an amazing uh, country with so much uh, going on and uh, I see that Chinese people still hungry and gross and it's just fascinating me since I'm here now 12 years here and that's all I'm seeing. So it would have unexpected. I mean, at the end, you can think China has a plan for everything. <laughs> but what I would not have seen unexpected, I've witnessed is that China catched up so fast in the digital space ah. um, as an ecosystem. 
um, which is something you know China as a state company, everything is planned, five-year plans and stuff like that. And then comes along private companies in a digital space, which the people are using and the people are very open to adapt as a life and also starting to raise their opinions and share about WeChat, Alibaba, whatever. And that they have come as a user copycat in the past, not what they are today. And this is quite fascinating, I have to say. I would not have guessed that in the time are here, especially in a short time frame and how huge it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. How digital the economy is. But on the other hand, I'm still, by the way, fascinated or surprised sometimes by the big contrast because on the one hand, you have this one. On the other hand, as a company, you still have to go in person to the bank to pay salaries, things like that sometimes. I mean, you can do online payment, but at the end, you still need to get a job. So you still have a lot of old administration things come over from the, from the old times. So this is kind of living next to each other. This is so, so interesting. That's very true. Um, on the opposite, what unexpected failure? What, what, what have you seen that failed in China? Um, uh, could, be, could be foreign businesses, could be a business, could be an organization, could be a way of, of living, whatever. What, what unexpected failure have you witnessed? Which was surprising. Yeah, surprising. Um, um, I, I would say, if, yeah, you overseas sometimes failure, things how you learn and get up from that. I think as China is moving so fast, uh, they're always trying things, things out and sometimes, sometimes they fail very fast. Just to name one, um, what I see now, I mean, now we are in the trade war with, with the US and what we're seeing a little bit is that maybe China realized that's also, I was a little bit surprised that they are not so independent yet as I might have thought for in terms of what happened Wednesday. ZTE last two years ago, that was the one which was a bit surprise to me. And China suddenly realized, hey, we don't have so much different microchips when they nearly went bankrupt. So this was a surprise to me, I think for whole China, huh? surprise to, oh, it's such crucial importance. Um, we are still dependent. And this is something China might realize. Me, myself, is that real CSU sometimes what's happening in China economy some parts of it. They're not even, they always present, they're strong, innovative, everybody wants to be here, but still vulnerable in some, some terms. Mm -hmm. and I've seen, um, it's, not a, it's not a failure per se, but it's something I would say is an unexpected surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 very, it's very funny. I, I had exactly the same remark to a friend yesterday, uh, telling him that Qualcomm and uh, mm. chips and so on, which are American, uh, actually are so vital for China. Uh, that it can it can weigh into trade war. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, thank you very much, Mike, for your time. I hope you enjoyed the talk. I hope everyone yeah, who listened to us has enjoyed the talk. And if you like it, you can uh, like it digitally as well. You can write uh, five stars. You can comment on our iTunes channel, Spotify, wherever you listen to our podcast or vlog. Thank you everyone for listening. And thanks, Mike, again for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you.